If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to two places in the scriptures. We're going to begin with Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 43 through 48. And then uh, we'll look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. As you know, we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, the reason, of course, for these four gospels are that four uh, different views re presenting to us the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And just like anything else that might, uh, you and I might do in recording an event or hearing someone preach or giving a lecture in college or school or wherever it may be, uh, your notes may differ from my notes and uh, uh, we can put those together and, and get a complete story on it. And so that's what you do with the gospels. Uh, Matthew, of course, was writing to the Jews and Luke to others. And so there's a purpose for every one of the four gospels giving us uh, a, a different view from four perspectives. And so sometimes Matthew will include something that uh, Luke does not and vice versa. So that's why we're looking at these two passages of scripture, both Matthew and Luke record for us the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm wanting to look at, and I'm preaching out of the King James today. I normally uh, I preach out of the New American Standard, but today, uh, because of the very reason that I've explained to you, uh, Matthew includes some things in his uh, account of what our Lord is saying uh, that the others do not and vice versa. As you know, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest person who's ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, addressing some of the greatest issues that you and I will face in life. And so today, we're looking at the subject of how we are to treat and relate to our enemies. So Luke chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 43 and reading through verse 48. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then if you would please look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, beginning with verse 27 and reading through verse 36. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? 
For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful." So Jesus is teaching us in this Sermon on the Mount how we are to live according to his teachings. And so today he is giving us some words concerning how we are to relate or to respond to those that we consider our enemies. As it has already been said, if you do not have any enemies, you are most fortunate indeed. You either have enemies or have had or will have enemies sometime in your life. And for an enemy to be yours, the word enemy, according to the dictionary, means it's someone who hates you. Uh, it is someone who intends, if they can, either through words or deed and action, to do harm to you, to oppose you in some way or another. Someone who is antagonistic toward you, uh, who seeks to overthrow you or to confound you as your opponent. Uh, you know, Jesus teaches us how as Christians we are to live and as followers of the Lord Jesus, there are those in the world who do just the opposite. I was reading this morning, I was going over some of the notes and sources that I have about Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is reportedly uh, to have said on one occasion, I love to have enemies. I fight my enemies. I like beating my enemies to the ground. Oh, well, I suppose that is one kind of philosophy that we can follow. It is certainly the philosophy that the world would suggest to us. Uh, it, it, uh, it makes sense out of your life if you live on Wall Street uh, rather than on North Street here in Nacogdoches. Uh, I guess it makes sense if you look forward to and enjoy uh, to have a chance to get back or to get even or to even get ahead of someone else that you dislike greatly. I read a story about a knight uh, and his men who returned to the castle after a long day of hard fighting. And the king asked, how are we faring? And the knight replied, sire, I have been robbing and pillaging on your behalf all day, burning the towns of your enemies in the west. He said, what? In the west? I don't have any enemies in the west. Oh, said the knight. Well, you do now. <laughs> All of us have had or do have some kind of an enemy, someone who harbors a, a grudge, a, a spirit of uh, hatred or ill will toward us. Uh, it might be a husband or a wife. It might be a former friend or a child and a parent relationship. I read about a preacher in his Sunday sermon preaching on forgiving your enemies. And after his sermon, he asked how many people in his congregation uh, had forgiven their enemies. And about half of the congregation raised their hands. Well, not satisfied that, he rehashed some of his sermon for another 20 minutes and repeated his question. And this time he received a response of about 80% of his congregation. Still unsatisfied, he lectured for another 15 minutes and repeated the same question. With all thoughts now on Sunday dinner, all responded except for one elderly lady. And the pastor said, are you not willing to forgive your enemies? And she said, well, I don't have any. 
And so he said, well, that's very unusual. Why don't you come down to the front, address the congregation, and tell us how you've managed to live to be 93 years of age and not have an enemy in the world. And so she tottered down the aisle, very slowly turned around and said, it's very easy. I've just outlived them all. <laughs> well, we can't always outlive our enemies. Therefore, we need to understand how do we and should we treat our enemies. There are three basic ideas that I want us to follow today, and that is in your outline. I trust that you have received your bulletin today, and you can follow along as we work our way through of how we are to relate to our enemies. Three basic ideas, the Christian's enemies, and if you are a Christian, you do have enemies. We'll look at this. The Christian's resemblance, and then thirdly, the Christian's reward. So let's look first of all at the Christian's enemies and Jesus describes for us what an enemy is. And if you are a Christian, a devout Christian, a committed Christian, if you take a stand anytime at all as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are going to face opposition. There will be those who will oppose you. There will be those who will have ill will toward you and will be your enemies. But Jesus says this is how you are to treat your enemies. First of all, those that we call or that he calls those who curse you. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. So the word curse here simply means to speak evil of you, uh, to say words that uh, belittle you or who uh, discredit you, uh, who just have ill will toward you. In the book of James, you know, James is one of the most practical books of all the Bible. And in the book of James, he tells us how to get along with other people or how we should get along. In Matthew chapter 3, James devotes a lot of scriptures to the tongue, that little element that's in your mouth, it so often gets out uh, and speaks words that perhaps it should not. And in James chapter 3 and verse 10, this is what James said. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So he was saying, you know, when you go to the hydrant and open your hydrant or the, the faucet in your bathroom or kitchen, wherever it may be, you have two handles, one for hot water, one for cold water. Hot and cold water can both come out of the same uh, faucet. Uh, but uh, he is saying here, uh, you sh when you open your mouth, you say blessings, but you all say cursings. He says that not ought to be. You're evidently tongue is out of control. And so you shouldn't with one person or at one time out of your mouth say a blessing of an individual, but then with the same mouth and tongue, uh, use that to either curse them later or somebody else. So he says, those who curse you, who speak evil about you and detest you utterly. The second person or way that he describes is those who hate you. The word hate here can also be translated detest. And you could either say something or do something or just be something that they don't like or that they are opposed to and they will hate you. They will detest you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Old Testament book of Genesis and the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis to see an example of one who, because of what he said, uh, caused his family to turn against him and to hate him, especially his brothers. And, of course, I'm talking about Joseph. In the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis, Joseph has a dream about his future. 
and how the day will come when his brothers and all members of his family, indeed all of the known world of that day, will bow down to him. And that didn't sit very well with his brothers. So in Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 4, Genesis 37 and verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him. Now, they didn't hate the father. They hated Joseph. And so his father was playing favoritism here. It was, there was no question about uh, his favoritism of Joseph. Uh, it was uh, one of his last sons, and uh, uh, he was showing that favoritism. And, uh, of course, it made his brothers angry and jealous of him. And so it says in verse 4 that they hated Joseph and could not speak peaceably to him. Uh, to speak peaceably to him, say, you know, kind things, courteous things, good things. No. Uh, you, you know, sometimes if you've had brothers, and I had three older brothers, I was the, the, the last one in the family, and I told them oftentimes that my parents saved the best for last, and that didn't sit very well with them either. So we had some good discussions occasionally about that. Well, that's what's happening here. And so they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Verse 5 says, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Uh, look down at verse 6. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. And, they were, and, they, and there we were binding sheaves in the field. And then before my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And so Joseph, I think, uh, although uh, there's a lot of good things about good qualities about him, I think, uh, uh, ask for trouble here. You know, sometimes if we say we don't have enemies, you know, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. I, I have seen people, known people by what they say and what they do uh, cause their own problems. They are their own worst enemy. And I think this is the case here where what Joseph had to say about some of the dreams uh, that he was having uh, caused animosity and hatred on the part of his brothers there. So we can be hated for what we believe, for what we stand for, and for the things that we do. So someone has said that, that hate is a lot like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it is stored as well as destroy the object on which it is poured. Someone else has said, hate is like burning down your own house just to get rid of one rat, one rat. Thirdly, not only those who curse you and hate you, but those who spitefully use you. He mentions this in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5. The King James uses the word despitefully. The word literally means to insult, to treat abusively, deceptively, to accuse falsely. If you would please look, we're still in the gospel of Matthew, but look at chapter 5. We're still in chapter 5, but look at verses 11 and 12. And the Beatitudes that our Lord gave some of the last ones that he mentioned in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile you. The word revile there means to, to verbally abuse you, to just to say very mean and hateful, uh, vindictive type words of you. He says, blessed are they when men speak evil of you, revile you and, and does that, and who persecute you. And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before them. 
Now notice he qualifies uh, how we ought to respond to that. He says, when they speak evil of you, verbally abuse you falsely, and then in other words, what they say about you is not true. You may not be able to prove it or argue against it or whatever. You know better, but they, they verbally abuse you and they, they speak words that are falsely uh, accusing you. Uh, he says, rejoice in those occasions because your reward will be great. So there will be those who will persecute you in that manner. So not only to curse you and hate you and spitefully use you, but the fourth thing is who persecute you. Again, looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he says, there will be those who will persecute you. And uh, the word persecute, of course, means to drive you away. That You perhaps were once friends, but now because of what's happened or what you've said or they've said, uh, they, you drive each other away. They pursue you in order to insult you, in order to persecute you for this. The religious leaders of Jesus' day called him a male factor. That's what the King James Version says, that our Lord was a male factor. The word male factor is a, just another, what it really means is a person who does evil. And so uh, they were accusing Jesus. And of course, we know better that our Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would have never done and did nothing that was evil or wrong, never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong. He was the Son of God, perfect without sin. And yet they falsely accused him of being a male factor. He's an evil man who says evil things. So these are the words that our Lord uses to describe a, a, an enemy, someone who will curse you, hate you, spitefully use you, and persecute you. Now let's go to the second idea, and that, of course, is how we are to respond. And I'm using the word resemble here, the Christian's resemblance. You know, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I'm assuming that most, if not all of us here today, have done exactly that, you profess to be a Christian. If you're professing to be a Christian, then you are living a life that resembles that of our Lord. Uh, you are a new person in Christ. The Apostle Paul says, old things are passed away. You have become new. Uh, you are a child of God. The word Christian was first used, we're told, in the book of Acts of the followers of Christ in Antioch. The word Christian can literally be translated one who is like Christ. And so you are to behave in such a way that people can see the resemblance in you, uh, that you are a follower of Christ. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So you set an example in your society. Uh, so we are to have the same and do have the same likeness and resemblance and nature within us because we have Christ, the Holy Spirit living within us. And so we have the same nature. Just when Jesus uh, said of those who, uh, the Pharisees and, and scribes and Sadducees, he said, uh, uh, you are of your father, the devil. And he was saying, in essence, that you have the same nature as the devil does. And there are people who are like that in the world. There are people who are Christians and they have the same nature as Jesus in them. And they are resembling that of Christ. Uh, Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. In the 8th chapter book of Romans, he said that we are, of course, to, uh, to follow the Lord Jesus and let him reflect his life in, in our lives uh, as well. In East Texas, I've shared this with you before, and you may remember that, when we talk about a, a, a father and his son, uh, maybe here's a father and he has a little boy, and we say, uh, man, he's a spitting image of his dad. And of course, what do we mean by the term spitting image? Well, it's slang, a colloquialism. It means spirit. 
and image. You look at that little boy, he, he, he favors his dad. He acts like his dad. He walks like his dad. He, he, he behaves like his dad. He, he talks like his dad. He's the spitting image of his father. And so if you are a Christian, you're, if you're pleased, reverently say you're to be the spitting image of your heavenly father. You're to be like the father. You're to let the Lord Jesus Christ live in you. And so there will be a Christian's resemblance. And so here is what we're saying, uh, that we are to be like our heavenly father. There are several things that he says. That if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to follow his commandments, if we're going to live our life according to the way Jesus is teaching, then here are the things that we're to do in relation to our enemies. First of all, we're going to love them. Love your enemies, he says. Notice in verse 43. In verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I don't know about your translation, but my translation, and in the King, King James or the New King James that I'm reading out of, the words, you shall love your neighbor, are in italics. And it is so because it is emphasizing that that's what the scripture says. But you'll notice that the last four words, and hate your enemy, are in what I call regular type. And the reason for that is those last four words, and hate your enemy, is not in the Bible. It's not in the Old Testament. Uh, verse 43 is a quotation of Leviticus 19.18. And Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So uh, the rabbis and the Sadducees and Pharisees and the scribes were adding to the Lord's word. The Old Testament has no place in it where it says that you are to hate your enemies. It, uh, however, it says that you are to love your enemies. Love your neighbors because sometimes your neighbor and your enemy is one and the same. There's something else here that uh, they added to it or took from it, and that is uh, the expression as yourself. And they did not include that expression. The Bible does. You're to love your neighbor, love your enemy as you love yourself. And so uh, we, we are to have that kind of attitude toward one another. Booker T. Washington. The African-American educator and author and orator and advisor to presidents of the United States said this on one occasion. I am resolved that I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. Good advice. I'm not going to let anybody treat me in a manner in which I would want to hate them for that. I just will not. John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he sees, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? So how do you treat your enemy? You love them. You love them. Secondly, bless your enemies. That's what he says in verse 44. Bless your enemies. And the word bless means to speak well of. The Greek word literally means, and we translate it as a eulogy. When we eulogize a person, especially this is done at a funeral where a eulogy is given, you don't drag out all of the dirt about them. <laughs> you don't talk about all the, the negative things about them and all the bad things about them. No, when you eulogize a person, you say good things about them. You want to remember the good things. And so when you bless an individual, you eulogize them 
You don't drag out all the things and animosities that you have against them. No, you say good things about them. They may revile you. They may speak evil of you, but don't speak evil of them and talking back to them that way. Bless them, he says. And uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 47, if you're still in chapter 5, look down at verse 47. It says, and if you greet your brethren, uh, the word greet there is translated also salute. The King James says when you salute your, your brethren, doesn't mean you salute them like you're in the military, but it just means that you greet them, you do so courteously, you're kind, you're polite to them. The Apostle Paul said, do not speak evil of anyone, of anyone. Thirdly, not only to love your enemies and bless your enemies, but do good to your enemies. You know, you'll never get dizzy doing good turns. You won't. So we are to do good to our enemies. You know, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38, uh, Jesus talks about retaliation he says uh, in verse 38, you've heard that it was said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, to, uh, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. Verses 38 through 43 is that section that we refer to as going the second mile. Where if a Roman soldier told a Jewish individual, here, here's my backpack, you take it, he was required by law uh, that he had to carry that soldier's backpack for a whole mile. And that was as far as he had to go. Jesus said, that, that's what's required of you. He said, but don't stop just going a mile with that person. Go a second mile. Go do more. Do extra. And now Jesus is saying to us, bless your enemies and do good to them. Don't be content to just ignore them, to go a separate way from them. Someone has said to return evil for good is the devil's way. To return good for good is man's way, but return good for evil, that's God's way. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. When he died on the cross, what were the first recorded words that fell from his lips? Father, wipe them off the face of the earth. <laughs> no, that's not what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Jesus said, if you just greet your brethren, greet your friends, if you're nice and kind and polite and courteous to your friends, you're not doing any more than anybody else would do. Go the second mile and love and be courteous and kind and polite to your enemies. Number four, pray for your enemies. Pray for them. He says in verse 44, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's what Jesus did when he was on the cross. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You remember when Stephen, recorded in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, was being stoned to death? I mean, here, what did he do? He just stood up for the Lord. He preached the gospel. And they hated him for it. They picked up stones and stoned him to death. But in the process, Stephen looked up to heaven. And you know that's the only place in the Bible where it says that when one of his servants stood up or looked up to heaven, that the Son of Man stood up. You read it. It says that Jesus, who was seated at the right hand of the Father, stood up and he looked down. What did Stephen say to the Father? Father, do not hold this against them. 
Don't charge them against this sin. Man, that takes a lot of grace, a lot of love, and a lot of forgiveness. When people are standing right there throwing stones at you, know, at you and you know within a matter of seconds you're going to be dead because of what they're doing to you. And yet he says, in essence, what Jesus said, forgive them, forgive them. Don't hold them, uh, this against them. Number five, be kind to your enemies. Be kind to your enemies. He said, if you will, you will be the sons of the Most High. So be kind to them. Someone once said, in this world of hurry and work and sudden end, if a thought comes quick of doing kindness to a friend, do it that very moment. Don't put it off and don't wait. What's the use of doing a kindness if you do it a day too late? So don't procrastinate when you have a chance to do something good even to your enemies. Do it. Number six, be merciful. Therefore, he says, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. That's in Luke chapter 6 and verse 36. Matthew doesn't say that. Luke does. Therefore, be merciful just as your father in heaven is merciful. We're to be what God is like? Uh, that We're to be like that. Is God merciful to you? Oh, yes, he is. So if, if you expect God to be merciful to you, you know, you go back to the Beatitudes in the fifth chapter of the book of, of, of Matthew, in verse 7, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want God to treat you mercifully? Then you be merciful to other people. Mercy means that you don't do and give to other people what they deserve. You withhold it, and you're kind to them, and you love them, and you're merciful to them. You'd be like blind Bartimaeus sitting on the wayside as he cried out to the Father, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful. And then the seventh thing he says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect. Now the word perfect there uh, doesn't necessarily mean uh, perfection. It doesn't mean that you're sinlessly perfect. Nobody can be sinlessly perfect because we're all human. The word perfect here means complete. It means and can be translated mature. So what is he saying? He said just be mature. Don't be a baby. Don't be childish. Don't be immature in in way you respond to other people. You're a grown individual. Spiritually, you should have grown and developed into maturity to the point that you are complete and you know how, as a Christian, you are to respond to the people who hate you. So, be perfect. And finally, he says, not only like your heavenly father, but... Don't be like the world. And the world here means those who are not believers and who um, do not follow the teachings of the Lord. He gives four or five examples here about the tax collector. In chapter 5 and verse 46 says, you, you, don't, you don't do any more than the tax collector. Well, you know, the tax collector was one of the most hated people in their society. They were what we would call members of the IRS today. I don't like IRS people. Hope there's not any in the congregation today. <laughs> Oh, I guess if it's somebody I detest, Lord forgive me. <laughs> I'm just saying verbally what you're saying in your mind. <laughs> Don't look at, sit there like you got halos around your head. <laughs> so they despised the tax collectors. Why? Because they extorted them. They took not only the tax money that they were to collect, but how did they profit in it? Well, they collected more than they were supposed to. They pocketed the difference. Zacchaeus was one of them. They hated him. 
And so Jesus says, don't be like the rest of the world. Then don't be like the Gentiles. You know, in the Jewish mind, there are only two kinds of people in the world, Jews or Gentiles. And so he said, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like sinners. He said, even sinners love those who love them. Well, go the second mile. You're not supposed to be like the sinners. You're saved. You're a follower of mine. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, he talks about the unthankful, the ungrateful. And uh, so he says, don't be like the ungrateful people. You read the first chapter of the book of Romans. And Paul describes the way people are going to be in the last days before Jesus comes. And at the top of his list are those who are ungrateful. Ungrateful. Ah. And then finally, evil. For he is kind to the evil. That is, God is kind to the evil. The word evil here means the wicked and those who are cruel. And so don't be like evil men. Don't be like the unthankful and the sinners and the tax collectors and so forth. You be like your father. The third thing, of course, that we want to examine briefly is the Christian's rewards. And there are about three, at least three different descriptions of, of the reward that you will receive as a Christian. And, and a description of that is what the word that I'm using to describe it is that it's unexpected. This time we're in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6 and look at verse 35. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35 says, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And so when you give to an individual and loan something to them, well, don't expect it to come back. And he says, in essence, when we get to heaven and the Lord rewards us, uh, we're going to get things that maybe we didn't expect at all. It's unexpected. So he says, if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? You give to those who cannot give back to you and you will receive the unexpected. The second term that he uses in Luke 6, 35 is great. He says, and great will be your reward when you get to heaven. The word great there means many or multiple or much or great. Oh, you know, the Lord is always generous. God is never stingy in what he gives to us in the way of blessings and in rewards. It's going to be great and many, of course, based upon how you treat other people and what you do when you get to heaven. And then, of course, number three or letter C, it's undeserved. Therefore, be merciful, he says in verse 36 of Luke 6. Therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Now, in my translation, the word father is capitalized with the letter F. So that's a reference to God. And the Greek word for mercy, of course, means to be compassionate, to be tender. God is the God of mercies, and we are to be kind and compassionate and forgiving uh, and merciful to those just as God is merciful to us. We don't deserve the mercy that God has toward us. Well, in conclusion, and my time is up, but I want to I share briefly, and I mean this <laughs> briefly, three additional things, and I'll be through in the way of conclusion. Let me say this to you, and listen to me carefully. Any person, who is not a Christian is an enemy of God's. And I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says. Listen to it. In James 4, 4. You adulterers, 
Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And the Bible is very clear, folks, here. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus himself said that. Either you'll cling to the one and despise and hate and reject the other. You cannot serve two masters. And the Bible is very clear in saying that if you choose to walk the way of the world, which is anti-God, to live your life as though God did not exist, if you have not embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are an enemy of God's. You are. Romans 5 verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, you shall be saved by his life. So there's hope for you. If you've never embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never opened your heart and your life and committed your way to Christ, if you will come to him in a repentant spirit and confess to him that you're a sinner and that you realize apart from him you have no hope whatsoever of eternal life and you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and accept him as your Lord and as your Savior, you can be saved and you will cease being an enemy of God's and you will become his friend. You will be just like Abraham. Abraham was known as the friend of God. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who said, the way I destroy my enemies is to make friends out of them. And that's what God does for you. That's what he did on the cross of Calvary. He took all of the hatred and the cursing and the swearing and the sinful life that you've been living and he put it all on Jesus. And Jesus became sin for you who know no sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. But if you're outside of Jesus Christ, you just mark it down, brother, you are an enemy of God. A second thing that I want to say to you is this, that you have an enemy, whether you realize it or not. And his name is is Satan. The devil hates you. The Bible refers to him as our enemy, as our adversary. He says in 1 Peter 5, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. The King James says your adversary. The devil, watch out for your great enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you've got an enemy. It may not be an individual person, human like you and I, but the devil's out there and he's real. I know he's real. I've done business with him. You have too, to my disgrace and shame. And, and so he's real and the devil hates you and he's devouring you. He knows that his end, that he's going to spend eternity in hell and he's trying to take as many of us with him that he can. And so you just mark it down. He may use people to get to you. He may get circumstances and use them to get to you. But the devil hates you and he is your adversary and he is looking for ways to devour you. But there's hope there too. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6 and the spiritual warfare that you and I are involved in and how we're to be dressed with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the sword of uh, the, the, the shield of faith and the sword, which is the word of God. You're in battle. You're in war. There's a spiritual battle taking place. And you can be victorious through him that is in you. And then so any person who's not a Christian is an enemy of God. The devil is your enemy and he seeks to destroy you. And here's the third and final thing. And it is, are you listening to God? 
And you say, well, pastor, where in the world did you get that? Well, do you have your Bible still open? Luke chapter 6. Let me just read it for you if you haven't. Just listen. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear. Did you catch that? Jesus said, but I say to you who hear. Are you listening to the Lord? There's one passage that I do want you to turn to. Luke chapter 8. In the Gospel of Luke, just turn over one page. Luke chapter 8. And I'm just going to point some things out to you quickly. It's the parable of the sower. Where Jesus said the sower went forth and he sowed the seed. And the seed fell on four different kinds of soil. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 12. He says, those beside the road are those who have what? Heard. Those beside the road or the ones who heard. Look at verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear. Verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And the cares and riches and pleasures have come and choked it all out. Verse 15 of Luke chapter 8. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And then in verse 18, he says, Therefore, take heed how you hear. In other words, as other translations says, pay attention to what you've heard. Consider carefully how you listen. Be careful in what frame of mind you're listening. And I ask you again, finally, are you listening to God? Have you heard the voice of the Lord Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. When it comes to how you relate to your enemies, are you listening to what God has said to you? Have you heard? Are you tuned into him? Are you listening to what God has said? I hope so. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. May we bow together. Father God, you've given us two sets of ears. The ears that we hear physically, verbally, as we speak to one another. But the soul has ears too, Lord. The spirit. And your spirit speaks to our spirit the words of truth that you want us to hear. And having heard them, Lord, may we obey them. May we not just be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word too. Especially when it comes to relating to our enemies. Because before we met Christ, we were your enemies. But oh, you've had mercy upon us. And we're so grateful. May we go and do likewise. Bless now the time of invitation. And for those who would respond, Holy Spirit, bring them. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And if God's speaking to you today, please come.